1: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. BTW proof. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions
2: 18 plus.
1: Blog Talk Radio.
2: Hello, and welcome to New Business Paradigms, conscious commentary on business and society. I'm Matt Renner, and I'll be co-hosting today's program along with Ronaldo Brudico. Ronaldo is the president of the World Business Academy, and I'm the Academy's executive director. The World Business Academy is a 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to to transforming the consciousness of business leaders, business students, and the public at large in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. To find out more about our work and to connect with us, please visit our website at www.worldbusiness.org or email us at info at worldbusiness.org. On today's show, we'll speak with Professor Jerry B. Brown. Dr. Brown is a longtime World Business Academy fellow, an author, and a founding professor at... Florida International University. Dr. Brown is the director of the Academy's Safe Energy Project, the Academy's effort to end nuclear power and replace dirty power with renewable safe energy. Jerry will tell us about the Safe Energy Project's effort to crowdfund a short documentary on the link between cancer and nuclear power. Also, Jerry will give us an update on the ongoing fight with the powerful utility company, Southern California Edison, to recover approximately $1 billion for the ratepayers of Southern California. After the interview, Ronaldo and I are going to discuss a coming report on global warming from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and the implications for business. But first, Ronaldo, let's talk about some of the current events in the news right now.
0: Well, um, I think there's a and thank you, Matt. Good morning, everyone, and good afternoon wherever you're listening to this. And um, delighted that we're continuing on uh, with our program because the, the the news is full of headlines that uh, might be hard to interpret if you knew everything you could possibly know and are virtually impossible to interpret if you don't do a lot of homework. And what we try to do on this show is to give you a context within which to see or understand what is happening in the broader macro economy, and that's a function of the broader macro world. So right now we have three things working in concert. We have the Obama situation and what that means in Syria with Putin and Assad. We have a second thing, which is the imminent um, uh, debt ceiling increase in the next thirty sixty days, and we have uh, Eric Cantor's proposal uh, to basically uh, hold it up uh, unless significant reductions are made in the in Obamacare. Uh, and the third thing we have going on is this next bite of the sequester, which happens on. Oct- Automatically at the end of January next year. So in this environment, and I guess maybe a fourth thing you can say is that the the Fed has indicated since starting May of last of this year that it would start to taper off its buying uh, of, of both Treasuries and mortgage backed securities as we got closer to the fall, if uh, unemployment continued to improve and if there was no risk of inflation. Well, you know, I got to tell you the the um, when you look at all these factors together. As a, as a responsible person trying to fit it all into one like picture, I find it extraordinarily challenging. So if anybody's confused about what to do with their 401k or their savings or where to invest, I have to share with you my frustration and my consternation at how difficult it is. Having said that, here's my take on the Obama situation. I think what Putin has done by giving himself an elevated position on the world stage is absolutely fabulous. I think his ego has caused him to object himself in the Syrian matter, and he's pulled, in effect, Obama off the hot seat. Do I think they'll get all the chemical weapons out of Syria immediately? No. Do I think this may be a stall that could last for many months, if not years? Yes. But what it does do is it takes the emphasis over the possibility of a U.S. airstrike with missiles. It takes the emphasis off of that, which was a vote that I think Obama would have lost. And it puts the emphasis back on, okay, Syria is your basically client state, Russia, as is Iran, by the way. Are you going to stand by if we have to spank them with cruise missiles, so to speak? Or are you going to jump into the fray and elevate your own international stature? Instead of saying, "yet" all the time, are you willing to be part of the solution? And I'd like to just focus, for example, on an editorial that was in yesterday's New York Times, in which it was pointed out that, you know, after years of of, uh, Assad- Saying categorically he had no chemical weapons, and as recently as the interview with Charlie Rose just uh, last week, it continued to say that. For them to admit now publicly, yes, we've got chemical weapons, yes, we're willing to sign the chemical weapons treaty, which they didn't sign the last one, and yes, we'll go about working with Russia to destroy them, that alone is an enormous step in the right direction, and I'm delighted that no force was used by the U.S. to achieve it. Maybe we will talk in future programs or maybe even a special program on a way to look at the use or lack thereof of force by the U.S., when it's appropriate, when it's inappropriate, why there's a knee-jerk fear of war in this country after having been lied to by the Bush administration and the fear people have that the government will continue going down that trail, what in fact has happened vis-a-vis the, the credibility or lack thereof of the U.S. government over the whole Snowden affair and the NSA leaks and the indiscriminate gathering of data, particularly against political allies uh, like Dilma Rousseff down in the president of Brazil. You know, all of these things are going into a into a large macro lens, which says to me that Obama, who has turned out to be extraordinarily ineffectual in the second term and has... Um, become, as I say, a great professor-in-chief. I mean, I think the speech he gave hit all the right issues all the right ways. The problem is it's a professor giving a lecture to the country. It isn't a president running the country. And into that vacuum now, the Congress has been emboldened over and over again to step with the destructive force that it's not only now compromising U.S. domestic policy, I'll come up with that next, it's compromising foreign policy. So the the president has really failed as the chief executive officer of the nation. And what he's getting right now is a no-confidence vote from the American people for about a year and a half. He's also now getting a no-confidence vote from the international arena. I think that's tragic for a man who's very moral, who's very smart, who means well, but unfortunately is not acting like the chief executive officer of the United States of America. And in this interregnum between... Executive officers, we have no chief executive officer. We're floating, we're listless, we're without a rudder or a keel. In this period of time, anything the government does will be misconstrued against it, that's even remotely neutral or negative, and everything that does positive will be tended to be doubted as possibly just spinning something rather than accomplishing it. So that's the confusion of the broad macro lens that any investor has to look at. Any thoughtful individual has to look at. And when you see that level of confusion, you say, oh, gee, what do I do with my money when there's this level of craziness in, in, in the body politic? Let's go to the second issue. Let's talk about this uh, Cantor proposal for uh, reducing the uh, uh, Obamacare at this time or holding the debt ceiling hostage. Mr. President... If Eric Cantor does that, if the Republicans try to – by the way, Cantor's getting some grief from his right wing, saying that's not good enough. We want you to defund Obamacare, which is insane, is a threat, and otherwise we won't pass the debt ceiling. Let me remind all of our listeners, what does it mean to pass the debt ceiling? What that means very simply is this. The Congress authorized expenditures. The executive branch spent the money. When they spent the money, they created debt, like a credit card debt. So they went out and they bought X, Y, and Z on their credit card that was authorized by the United States Congress. Now the bill is coming due, and the government has to say, gee, we got to pay this bill, so we're going to have to raise the debt ceiling, because there's not enough positive cash flow to pay it, With just cash flow, we've got to pay it with debt as well. So we've got to go to the bank, so to speak, the Fed, for a loan. Now... It is an anachronism that we even have a debt ceiling in this country. And if someone would like to ask a question on that, we can talk about how this anachronism got into play and why it makes no sense today in the modern world. Once the Congress authorizes the expenditure of money, the executive, I believe, not only should, but probably has the constitutional legal authority to pay that debt whether or not the debt ceiling is in place. And frankly, there should be no debt ceiling. It's crazy. It's, it's a way to take back something you already did, and it's, it's, it's causing people to, to lack faith in our creditworthiness. So if you were to go to your bank after you took out a loan and tell the bank you're not going to pay them back, they'd get very upset with you and they'd cut you off. We don't want to create that kind of a situation in the world market. So I'm hoping that if Cantor pulls this stunt, the President of the United States, who has not been acting very presidential, will finally step up and do what he should do, which is say, you know what, you guys have no authority to tell me that. I'm doing it. If I have to, I'll do it under the 14th Amendment. Don't get stuck up on, and on on questions of the niceties of constitutional law, Mr. President, although I know you're a constitutional law teacher. Get down and get the thing to happen. And if you know what, if it turns out that three or four years from now you were wrong and the court comes up with a different decision, by that time you'll have fixed it another way. Let's move ahead the way someone like FDR would have moved ahead. Let's move ahead like Teddy Roosevelt, the Republican, would have moved ahead. Let's do this and get it behind us because it's a silly thing to do to shoot our foot off for no good reason whatsoever. And, of course, we're going to keep spending the money that Congress allocates. And, therefore, of course, we're going to have to raise the debt ceiling. And to talk about it in any other way is absolute political blackmail. And if you stoop to that blackmail, Mr. President, you might as well resign in favor of Joe. So please don't do that. Number two. Let's talk about, number three, let's talk about uh, the sequester. People do not realize the severity of the sequester that's already occurred. This economy, which is now finally, and we predicted the economy would be growing at about 2.5% by the third or fourth quarter of this year, which is exactly where the GDP is right now. But we said six, eight months ago, be careful, because the sequester took at least one percentage point out of GDP, which, by the way, is the difference between 200,000 people getting jobs every month and 250 to 275,000 getting jobs every month and climbing. So we are about to whack the GDP again. We're about to whack the economy again. Automatically, at the end of January, for no good purpose, because every country in the world who's tried austerity – I include Spain in that, by the way, even though Spain is beginning to embrace the end of austerity – every country in the world who's done austerity has failed. And, and when they start to come out of austerity, they start to succeed again. Britain has gone through at least a double, and some would argue a triple recession, triple dip. And the only reason it's ending now, and by the way, I want to report that it is ending in, in the UK. Very important thing that people know: the economy in the UK has finally got past neutral. It's been negative for a long time. Um, as and by the way, that was reported by the, um, the head of the Bank of England, Carney, uh, just yesterday in testimony before the the the, uh, the Parliament. And, and, and it's not growing fast, but it's growing. And the reason it's growing is because the government of Cameron stopped doing austerity. In fact, it's creating a little bit of a bubble right now because what it did is it put in a home-buying program, which is creating an artificial, uh, a little bit of artificial credit in, in the home market. Now, let's go back to the sequester, though. So what happened last year in 2013, if you will, when you're looking at 2014? What happened this year, which would have been last year, when we come up to the next bite of the sequester, we can look backwards and say, gee, in 2013, when we let that sequester thing happen, it knocked a point to a point and a half off of GDP, and it did so at a time when we desperately needed to grow jobs. And it's created a, a further disequilibrium between the haves and the have-nots, and I'm going to end on that point in a second. So I think it's really critical we look and say, gee, if we let the sequester happen again, what's likely to happen with the second bite of the apple, which happens automatically if the Congress doesn't stop it, or the president. And the answer, unfortunately, is I think this time it's going to take at least one to one-and-a-half points additionally. And we don't have them to give. So what I'm predicting is even if they don't pull this debt ceiling nonsense in September October, even if we get past that, which I expect we will one way or the other, because of the sequester, in 2014 – When that sequester starts to hit, it will reduce GDP growth by at least one point. We're only at two, two and a half right now. And with inflation in the mix, it's conceivable we will go to neutral or negative growth in the United States of America. Given that right now the American economy is the one thing that's helping to pull the whole world forward, And we can talk if people have questions about the impact of China or not the impact of China, the impact of Europe, not the impact of Europe, what's going on in the BRICS, which is Brazil, Russia, India, and China. Talk about all those, and I would love to get questions on all those. But at the end of the day, right now, the U.S. economy is the single biggest force helping to pull the world out of recession, and we're barely pulling out of it. So we really cannot afford this sequester. The last point I said at the opening was about the Fed. I do not believe that the Fed is going to do anything destabilizing. I think the market's playing games with us, telling us that. I think that the Fed did, said in May what they were going to do. They're going to hold to that. The Bernanke recently, a month or so ago, reinforced he hasn't changed his policy. He's giving forward guidance, and the forward guidance is the Fed won't be the cause of your problem. If anything, we're asking the Fed to do too much. Because there's no fiscal policy to balance the monetary policy, the Fed has been uh, been trumpeting. And by the way, I want to put in another cl- a plug here. I certainly hope Yellen is the new Fed chairperson. I can't believe Obama would be foolish enough to appoint Larry Summers. I want to think that that's a trial balloon to satisfy Wall Street, but that he has no intention of doing so. Now let me conclude this. I want people to know something really devastating was reported yesterday. Really, really devastating. What was reported yesterday, and it was an article in the New York Times that was reporting um, a very, very interesting outcome. So uh, some economists concluded, calculated accurately, it appears to me, that the top 10% of the American public in in terms of wealth, the top 10% took in over half of all the income last year in 2012. Worse than that. This level of the top 10% taking in over half of the income, so that means the other 90% had less than half between them, that's the worst disparity between rich and poor since the income tax was passed in 1913. So it's the, and that, by the way, it was never measured before that. So I really want folks to realize that if the way we are running this country, where the rich are getting richer, and the poor are getting poorer and the middle class is getting decimated is absolute economic suicide. I don't care whether you're rich, middle class, or poor. It's against your interest. Even the rich will lose on this formula because you can't continue to create a narrower and narrower aristocracy in an economy like the U.S. And in fact, that is probably the number one thing holding the economy back right now. And the minor changes that were done to the tax laws this year are insignificant and of relatively no consequence, as these statistics will show again next year. I want to say one other thing. When Matt and I were talking about this just uh, before the show started, actually two things, uh, Matt was saying, yeah, not only that, Ronaldo, but isn't it amazing that this gap, which has been growing and growing, isn't it amazing that that gap now represents a bigger chunk of disequality, inequality, than ever before, except the lead-up to the Great Depression, and one could argue the Great Recession. And my point was... That's right, Matt. In fact, today this economic disequilibrium is as bad or worse today than it was at the start of the Great Depression, and the recession we just went through, the Great Recession, didn't affect it. Barely slowed it down. And in fact, the the the, the, the bottom ninety percent of the economy only gained about one percent in twenty twelve. So they did gain a little bit, but nowhere near what the top ten did. The top ten and, percent. And, and let me put the final number to that. As a result, the top 1%, just the top 1% in 2012 represented about 22.5% of the total income in the country, up from 19.7% just the year before. So the 1% grew from
1: 197
0: to 225 or a gain of 3% at a time when the rest of the economy was growing at 1%, the rest of us were growing at 1%. That tells you who's in control of the economy. And unfortunately, this moneyed aristocracy, which is very thin, 1% of the population, is absolutely destroying our way of life. And we need to get clear that that, therefore, will come back to haunt them and even their children and their grandchildren. So people need to wake up to this. I'd like to talk later in the show a little bit about climate change, and when I do, uh, I hopefully I will explain at that point why the rich, just like the poor, die when the climate is uh, destroyed. And in an economy like this, the rich, just like the poor, will get hurt or destroyed when this amount of greed goes unchecked. So those, that's, those are my overviews, and as to the, how do we then sort out what to do with our money in that context, we're going to get into that in the lightning round. But i got to tell you, it's challenging.
2: I want, to, I want to add one more statistic uh, on, the, on the income inequality piece, and this is actually more about ownership. But the, uh, the six Waltons of the Walmart family, uh, the six Waltons own more, have more wealth than the bottom thirty percent of Americans combined. Six people, and that kind of income inequality, like you're saying, is just unsustainable. Um, I wanted to. My question, in right other how do, you, how do you see that trend going forward in the next six months to a year? Do you see any, any way to, to start reducing that gap, or is it just a, a continued um, moving away of those two lines? Before, before I address
0: that, I also want to point out to those of you who are wondering how the six Walts made their money. They made it the old-fashioned way. They inherited it. None of the six is attributed <laughs> with any of the success it took to make that money. So in an economy where six people have more wealth than the the 30% at the bottom, what it means is if you're born lucky, you get to do really, really well. And if you're born in the bottom third, or I would argue the bottom half, you are set for a life of misery. And if that isn't a Dickinsonian view of life, I don't know what is. So to me, it is absolutely essential that we address this inequality, and if we don't do it, Relatively soon, we're going to find that we are not living in a country. But, well, let me let me give you an example. We used to be the number one educated country in the world. We're now 28. Where did it, where did it go? Where did we lose the dream that one person working hard, male or female, could afford to have a spouse or a significant other and a couple of kids and have a good life? Why did we give up that, what was called the American dream? I don't know. Now to, to answer Matt's question, where is this headed? Do I see anything at all in the data that would indicate to me that this disparity of rich and poor is going to be narrowed in the near term? And the answer, I have to tell you regrettably, is not only do I see it not narrowing, I see it continue to get worse unless we proactively do a couple of things. One, we're going to have to elect a real president, and we better do it soon because we're running out of time. I hope to God we can keep it glued together uh, for a couple more years because this this guy ain't doing the job. And we've got to get it done by somebody. The Congress has to be brought back in line so it represents the interests of the people and stop representing the interests of the top one or 10%. And the reason they represent those interests, by the way, is because that's who pays them. Directly or indirectly, the top 10% of the economy pays the Congress. They pay them through their companies. They pay them directly through contributions, et cetera. Now, as many of you know who have been listening to this program, I'm a top 10 percenter. So I'm, not, I'm talking, you would think, against my own interests because I'm doing really well. I'm a top 10%er, but the truth is, I think it's suicidal for me. I wish that we could have a more equalized society so that guys like me wouldn't be putting enormous parts of our uh, net worth. In many years, I give away more than half of my money because I'm trying to fill holes that are being created by the other 10%ers who are enjoying their money on yachts. So it's it's important that we realize that we have a responsibility in a democracy or a Republican form of government, which we have, we have no one to blame but ourselves. If our Congress is being beholden to 1% of the interests at the stake of the rest of us, we need to bring them to bear. If our political leadership in the White House is too weak, we need to demand that they start acting like executives. If we believe that the country is is, is, is like a a boat without a rudder or a keel, which I would say probably 80% of the public does, it's our job to say, wait a minute, if you can't run the ship, get in somebody in here who can, because we're the crew, and we don't want the ship to go down. Because the truth is, if the ship goes down, the best yacht in the world that you're on, if you think you own it, because you're the top 1%, is not such a great place to be if the name on the side of the yacht is Titanic. So if we're going to sink the economy, you're going down too, Waltons. All of us are going to go down. That's not, that's not required. It's not even likely If we just get a hold of our senses, and to do that, we have to do one thing first and foremost. We've got to replace the greed ethic for I want to get what I can for me at the expense of everyone else with the we ethic, the ethic that says we're all in this together.
2: Well, and I think one issue that exemplifies the Academy's work in this area and uh, is a good transition to our next guest is nuclear power, because nuclear power is outdated, Uh, it is extremely expensive, and there are companies – Fighting to keep it alive in the face of all the economic forces that are pushing for renewable uh, renewable energy and solar. So with that, with that, I'd like to introduce Jerry Brown. Professor Brown is founding professor at Florida University, where uh, sorry, Florida International University, where he teaches courses on anthropology, energy policy, social movements, and the impact of technology. Jerry is also the co-author of two books with Ronaldo: Profiles in Power, the Anti-Nuclear Movement, and the Dawn of the Solar Age and Freedom from Mideast Oil, a Roadmap for America's Sustainable Energy Future. Uh, we last spoke to Jerry back in, in June about the Academy's Safe Energy Project, which he is the head of, and we've asked him back to update us on the Safe Energy Project on the on- and the ongoing fight with uh, Southern California Edison.
1: Jerry, welcome to the show. It's great to be here today, and uh, we want to talk about a uh, very exciting uh, crowdfunding Strontium 90 film that we're launching, and uh, you I you become Jerry, involved before- with that.
0: Jerry, before you do that, I want to credit you. You were the first guy I ever heard say that nuclear power is the gateway drug to nuclear weapons. Did that? Did you make that up, or right. did you find that somewhere?
1: No, I mean I, I might have taken the phrase from the uh, gateway drug of marijuana that the uh, federal government contends is marijuana is a gateway drug to uh, all the other hard drugs, uh, which is patently nonsense. But I took that and I applied it to the fact that when um, Papa Bush was looking at Iran and, he, and, he, and at Iraq, and he said that they had weapons of mass destruction and that the nuclear power plants that they had were a Cadillac assembly line to get the enriched fuel to make the nuclear weapons. And what I mean here is this is the way in which rogue nations, by having commercial nuclear power, rogue nations like Iraq, like Pakistan, like North Korea, which just restarted its reactors,
0: can get nuclear weapons. Focus on that. Let me just focus on that. Uh, I I want everybody to to hear what Jerry just said. He he, he is the first guy. I'm glad I want to give you credit, Jerry. Nuclear power is the gateway drug to nuclear weapons. If you don't have nuclear power, you don't have nuclear weapons. And when you have a rogue state like Korea, North Korea, who just yesterday restarted its nuclear power plant to make plutonium, enough plutonium, by the way, that they can add two to five new nuclear warheads per year, which, by the way, they can sell on the black market for a whole lot of money because there's all kinds of people in Pakistan and in Afghanistan, and Iran, frankly, and Syria, who would love to have a nuclear weapon. You can be sure. So the fact that they just restarted this yesterday, ladies and gentlemen, you don't have a reactor going in North Korea because they ran out of electricity. It's going for only one purpose, to create nuclear weapons. And what we do in our country is we we went the same route. We started this whole craziness because we thought we needed the nuclear power so we could get nuclear weapons. We got way too many of them. We're trying to take them apart at this point. And I'd like everybody to focus that that is a real risk. Now, that's not why the Safe Energy Project that Jerry heads is taking on San Onofre. Which, congratulations, Jerry, the Safe Energy Project, the only business group to, to be participant, closed San Onofre nuclear power plant with other environmental allies like Friends of the Earth. It did that in, in, on, on June 7th of this year. And I know you're battling some more against that. So what I'd like to know, Jerry, just give me a quick update on June. What's happened at San Onofre, <laughs> where we're going so people can know. And then I'd like to talk about Strontium 90
1: Well, first of all, there were many environmental groups, both at the local level, including the Alliance for Nuclear Responsibility, and at the national level, like Friends of the Earth, which waged this battle, in addition to the intense scrutiny that California Senator Barbara Boxer, who sits on the oversight committee of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, placed on California Edison. In other words, California Edison put in faulty replacement steam generators, the heat transfer internals of a nuclear power reactor that leaked so badly that Edison had to shut down the plant in January 2012. Because of all of the lobbying efforts, legal efforts, public education efforts of many nonprofit groups, this reactor was closed on June 7th when Edison's CEO realized it was too risky and too expensive to try to restart it. This was a major victory. And in addition, San Onofre is one of four nuclear power plants that closed this year, signaling the beginning of the end of the much-touted nuclear revival. Now, with some of the environmental groups like Friends of the Earth having achieved their goal of closing the plant, they've declared victory and moved on. This leaves the World Business Academy as the only business group before the California Utilities Commission that is battling to do three things stop the theft, and there's literally no other word for it, of $3.2 billion, which Edison wants to charge its ratepayers over the next years to recoup its investment on a nuclear plant that is never going to produce one more electron of electricity. And analogy-
0: which they broke. We did. Which they, they broke.
1: broke. In other words, you talk about greed here, as you were doing before, Ronaldo. The What happened here is they broke it, and they can't fix it, and now they want their customers' To pay for it. It's kind of like the mugger analogy that you used in your testimony that you just submitted to the Utilities Commission, where the mugger robs you and now takes your credit card and wants to charge you for the bat that they threatened you with. We also want to get a 1 billion dollar refund for Edison rate payers that they've been paying for this broken and defunct plant and we want to stop the bleeding of some 83 million dollars a month that Edison is still charging its consumers for this nuclear power plant. So that's the update oh, hey, of way, just,
0: ha- just for Californians you should know folks, you've been getting hit for 83 plus million dollars a month since January 2012 when the plant closed. It I want to hasten to advise you that this is now September of 2013, and they have no intention of stopping that charge if we don't hold their feet to the fire. We just filed a massive pleading at the Public Utilities Commission pointing out this theft in the most detailed language. And if anybody would like a copy, if they send to, the, to our um, Safe Energy Project a request, I'm sure that Jerry can make an electronic version available. It's astounding what they have been trying to steal and what they've been stealing. And we call it theft. It is, we're not polite about it at all. This is definitely theft. and It's, it's, it's fraud and mismanagement and gross negligence on the wor- of the worst sort. We've said so in public. We're saying so on the show today. And I'm really proud of the Academy and the efforts that Jerry's leading to get at least a billion back and to stop the bleeding going forward. So thank you for doing that, Jerry, on behalf of everybody whose pockets are being picked.
1: It's, it's my pleasure. And if anyone out there listening will email me at brown at worldbusiness.org, Brown at org. I'd be happy to send you a copy of that testimony. We're also now working with a coalition of groups to try to close the Diablo Canyon plant, and if you'd like, I can talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think you should, because not only is that a financial disaster, and not only is the power there not necessary, because even though the plant in San Onofre has been offline since January 2012, we know the California independent system operator is in charge of, Power Needs for California has said that not only do we have enough power without it, meaning Diablo, we have excess and reserve power without it. In fact, we just went through the hottest summer in record, and we never once had to worry about tapping into those reserves. So we've got a plant we don't need that we're paying a bloody fortune for, but it's worse than that, Jerry. It's about the fact it's killing people. It's literally killing people. Explain that to me.
1: There's two things that are going on here. First, let me just back into this. We're working with a coalition of local and national groups, including the Mothers for Peace in San Luis Obispo, very close to the reactor, and the Alliance for Nuclear Responsibility. Diablo Canyon Nuclear Power Plant sits on three major earthquake faults and is in a historic tsunami zone. It's at risk for a Fukushima-like accident. Why are we so concerned about Diablo Canyon? Unfortunately, all we need to do is, if you're on the West Coast, look across the Pacific Ocean at the ongoing and ever-worsening Fukushima nuclear disaster to see what could happen here. The Japanese government just admitted that this ongoing disaster is leaking 300 tons of radioactive water into the ocean every day with high levels of strontium-90, of cesium-137. The, that water is coming across the Pacific, and according to scientific studies, is due to hit in different pockets, depending on the eddy currents. the west coast of the United States by 2014. But the tuna, they don't have to wait for those pockets. They can cross the Pacific, you know, in, in a year or several times within two years. And recently, every absolutely every one of a sample of bluefin tuna tested off the coast of California recently had high levels of radioactivity to the extent that the American Medical Association has recommended the testing and reporting of radiation levels in all edible Pacific fish. This is the kind of thing and, but, that happening. Let me happen- just
0: make, make that clear. So, and what they specifically said, so people can follow you, Jerry, they said if you catch fish off Hawaii, Alaska, Washington, Oregon, or California, you are at risk, and the AMA, the American Medical Association, has requested that the government formally begin ongoing monitoring of this fish. That's how serious it's gotten, folks. That's two weeks right. ago. And just to give one other thing that can help understand what Jerry's saying, when he says 300 tons of radioactive water, just to put that in some context, that's over 17,000 gallons a day. That's what's going into the ocean. Now, you can do something with the Pacific Ocean for a while, but you can't keep doing that indefinitely and if you don't want your fish to glow in the dark, which they're starting to do. so. That's the level of insanity going on at Fukushima, and it it has not been stopped. The disaster continues on.
1: They've lost control, and this is truly an international catastrophe. And the uh, utility has lost control. The Japanese government has to step in, and it really needs international help to get this under control. In fact, you mentioned the western states. Uh, The Radiation and Public Health Project, that's radiation.org, has documented high rates of hyperthyroidism in newborn infants, which is due to rising levels of radioactive iodine, iodine iodine-131, in all of the Western states. Now, why we're making this film called Silent Killer, Nuclear Power, Strontium-90, and Cancer is because it's not only these accidents, the notable accidents like Three Mile Island in 79 or Chernobyl in 86 or Fukushima in 2011 that put all of us at health risk for cancer from radiation, which is a well-known carcinogen. What is less known is that all of the now remaining 100 U.S. reactors are allowed by the federal government, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, to routinely release radioactivity. This goes into the air, it goes into the soil, the water, and it's taken into the bodies of men, women, and children where it remains for years and years, contributing to America's vast cancer epidemic. The recent pioneer. And hey, by the way, recent... I, get, I want to
0: give a statistic Sorry. here. In 1946, when they started measuring cancer rates, breast cancer rates in women, and they thought it was a, becoming a national crisis, one woman in 37 was contracting breast cancer. Today, 2012, was the last year it was measured, it's one woman in eight, and the progression from one in thirty-seven to one in eight has been very steady and continuous. We believe in the Safe Energy Project that since the early seventies, one of the huge causes of this was above ground uh, was nuclear power plants, which replaced above ground nuclear as the source of strontium ninety that's causing all these cancers. So you need that's to know. Go ahead, Jerry.
1: No, that's exactly correct. And this has been well documented through the strontium-90 levels in children's baby teeth. Uh, Strontium-90 is a marker. If it's there, it means many other radioactivity uh, forms are there. If it's And it can be tested in children's baby teeth. There was an initial baby teeth study during the Cold War bomb test years that showed that strontium-90 in children's teeth was rising, rising, rising. And along with it, there were rising rates of children's childhood leukemia and cancer. Children being more susceptible are sort of the canaries in the mine shaft when it comes to toxins and disease. Using this evidence, President Kennedy banned nuclear, above-ground nuclear weapons testing. And Khrushchev was hearing the same thing from Sakharov, the father of the Soviet H-bomb. And in the height of the Cold War in '63, they reached across the Iron Curtain and said, look, we're going to stop all above-ground and underwater bomb testing. And the radioactivity started to drop, drop, drop. Now, due to the heroic work of the Radiation and Public Health Project, radiation, Radiation.org. There's been a second baby teeth study in American history that shows that strontium-90 starts to level off in the 1970s and now is rising, 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 and is estimated to go back up to the bomb test years. In other words, due to the rapid expansion of nuclear power in the United States since the 1970s, we have undermined all of the health benefits of President Kennedy's nuclear test ban treaty.
0: Well, to put that into context, so that's one month before he died. The last major act of his presidency was to sign that nuclear test ban treaty. He had unilaterally suspended nuclear testing in July of '63 when he got the report, the baby teeth study. But what I want to make clear to people is there are only two. This is no one disputes the science of this. There are only two sources of strontium-90 on the planet. One is above-ground nuclear testing. Two The normal operation of nuclear power plants. That's it. You can't make it any other way. And I want every listener to know, if you're a woman, and you knew it used to be one chance in 37 you'd get breast cancer, and today it's one out of eight. It was one out of nine just a year and a half ago. Do you want to wait till the answer is one out of one? Or do you want to stop Strontium-90 now? And just to let you know, folks... It isn't just California where there's a nuclear reactor that's happening. It's all across the country, all across the world. And what Jerry's quoting you are ambient levels, meaning what's available in the air that's going to get you if you live in Cleveland, whether there's a nuclear power plant there or not. In fact, there isn't one that far away. So I I want you to think about this is personal. It's not just you. It's your sister, your mother. it's It's everybody you know that's female has a, ch- a remarkably high chance of contracting cancer, and one of the reasons that breast cancer is so high is strontium-90. Now, one other thing. Jerry talked about children. The reason children are particularly susceptible, and it's true they're, they're the canary in the coal mine generally for toxins, but strontium-90 bonds to human calcium. That's why you grind up baby teeth to find out how much strontium-90 is around. When a child is growing, their bones are adding mass, calcium mass, every day. Not us adults as much. We replace some, but not as much. The kids are growing in their bones. That bone growth and that teeth growth is actually sucking and is bonding the strontium-90 to the calcium. So children have elevated rates of cancer generally with toxins, but in the case of strontium-90, it's extraordinarily elevated. So we're talking about our children now, folks. We're talking about our children, the ambient levels of strontium in our grandchildren. And if you don't have children, it's somebody's grandchild. It's somebody's child. So, think about it. As a responsible society, how can we let this
1: happen? Well, the good news is that there are alternatives to nuclear power, that we're beginning to see nuclear power start to fade the beginning of the process in which it fades into history, but it's got a long way to go. I was a researcher with the ba- the second baby teeth study, and I saw to dismay that every time we were about to break this information out into the national media, the very powerful nuclear industry with its allies in the utilities were able to block that. That is why the World Business Academy is making this film, This Indiegogo, we have an Indiegogo campaign underway to raise $12,000 to make a YouTube film, a 10 minute YouTube film called Silent Killer Nuclear Power, Strontium 90, and Cancer. If you'd like to learn about it, if you'd like to contribute, you can go to www.safeenergyproject.org and learn all about the campaign. That's www.safeenergyproject.org dot org and learn about the campaign for a fact, five dollar go ahead
0: no, for right now jerry what i'd like to let's just matt can you cue up the the audio portion of that that, that yeah. indiegogo campaign yeah. yeah let's take a pause here jerry i'd like people to hear what we're saying publicly and why we're asking for something as small as twelve thousand dollars to say it more effectively so we can do the paul revere thing and warn strontium 90 is coming go ahead matt cue it up hello i'm Ronaldo Brudico. Founding President of the World Business Academy, a nonprofit think tank that's been operating since 1986. We were the only business group that, together with our environmental allies, were successful in closing San Onofre Nuclear Plant on June 7th of 2013. We're also the only business group that is seeking right now for the refund of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, which we believe Edison has overcharged the ratepayers of California, and we intend to get it back. But as exciting as that outcome could be, let me tell you about something even more important. Our next project which literally could save your life.
2: It doesn't take a nuclear catastrophe like Fukushima to expose us to the dangers of atomic power. Nuclear power plants release radioactive isotopes into the air, soil, and water. Our group has been studying the relationship between strontium-90 and cancer for over a decade.
1: Back in 1963, President John F. Kennedy understood this relationship. The strontium-90 levels in baby teeth were rising dramatically accompanied by increases in childhood cancer and leukemia. This helped President Kennedy ban above-ground nuclear weapons testing during the Cold War. The loss of even one human life, or the malformation of even one
0: baby, who may be born long after all of us have gone, should be of concern to us all. Our children and grandchildren
1: are not merely statistics towards which we can be indifferent, nor does this affect the nuclear powers alone. These tests befoul the air of all men and all nations, the committed and the uncommitted alike, without their knowledge
0: and without their consent.
1: The scientific baby teeth study showed the health benefits of the test ban. From 1998 through 2003, I served as a research scientist with the baby teeth study. We documented a surprising increase in radioactive strontium-90 levels in children's teeth, which began with the rapid expansion of nuclear power during the 1970s. It was because of this link between nuclear power and America's cancer epidemic that I decided to join the Safe Energy Project.
2: We also know that closing nuclear power plants will actually reduce cancer. We saw this with the closing of the Rancho Seco plant in California.
1: After Rancho Seco was shut down in 1989, childhood cancer and thyroid cancer rates in Sacramento County declined dramatically.
2: We want to get the word out to empower our communities and our families. We intend to make a compelling film about the dangers of strontium-90 and possible solutions.
1: Women and children are most affected by radiation poisoning. My mother lived near a nuclear power plant and died of cancer. We want people to know the link between nuclear power, strontium-90, and cancer.
2: If you know someone with cancer, there may be a connection to nuclear power.
1: Join our filmmaking crew. Help us grow this groundswell for safe energy and get great perks while you're at it. Like credit in the film, Ronaldo Brudico's and Dr. Jerry Brown's important book, Freedom from Mideast Oil, and the e-booklet, Preventing Radiation Toxicity Through Diet. Please share our campaign with your friends and family. We thank you for your support in making a film that will expose the links between nuclear power and cancer.
0: Thank you very much for running that. Jerry, thank you for your efforts leading this safe energy project for the Academy. Literally, ladies and gentlemen listening to this call, wherever you live in the world, this is not an optional issue. It literally is a matter of life and death. I hope it isn't your life and death we're talking about, but it well could be, and it's certainly the life and death of those children that President Kennedy was bemoaning who, frankly, will continue to be affected by strontium ninety for a minimum of thirty to forty to fifty years after every nuclear power plant is closed? Ladies and gentlemen, please take it serious. Go to the Safe Energy Project, um, and and Jerry, thank you for coming on our show today to share this. We'll do another update, I'm sure, in a, a few months from now, and we'll keep the public apprised. Thank you for your work.
1: My pleasure. Bye bye. So no, Matt,
0: no, no, um,
2: yeah,
0: go ahead. Where oh, are no, we? I, no. don't...
2: Yeah, I just want to give everyone the address to make sure they know how to help with the campaign. Uh, th- if you want to see the video that we just played the audio from, and see some of the graphs that Ronaldo and Jerry referenced, please go to safeenergyproject.org, where the first uh, image on the on the homepage is um, a link to the campaign. Uh, at the campaign, there's a place to donate and support the work. There's a lot of great perks that come along with it, uh, so make sure to check those out. Again, it's safeenergyproject.org.
1: Uh, Ronaldo.
2: We we next want to move on to talk briefly about the upcoming intergovernmental panel on climate change report uh, that we've been hearing a little bit about leaking in the media. Um, But you know, one thing we like to do on this show is be a little bit ahead of the news and uh, tell people what to expect when they hear the news breaking uh, that this major report, a five-year report from IPCC, is coming out with information about climate change. What are your thoughts on the report?
0: Yeah. Very briefly, what the report's going to say is that the uh, for the first time, I, I, I'm delighted that the, the World Business Academy is no longer going to be the only reputable organization saying that we're in the process of destroying human civilization. What the report's going to say is that it appears that we are on a breakneck path, which no one sees how to avoid where the temperatures globally will go up at least 7 to 9 degrees, and I think that's a a hopeful, optimistic assessment based on inadequate data. It's going to be much worse than that, folks. But what they concluded is, and I'm I'm, I'm not quoting from the report, but I'm quoting from news reports that have been published now in the last 48 hours, um, at those temperatures, 7 to 9 degrees hotter, which I think is inevitable at this point, It is not possible to see how human civilization as we know it can survive. Now, does that mean every single human being will die on the planet? No. But it means there will be massive, not a million, not tens of millions. The World Business Academy believes billions of people will die. As societies are stressed to the breaking point by the lack of available water, by the collapse of social structures, by the inundation of the sea, etc., so I'm not alarmist, ladies and gentlemen. I'm an optimist. And if I was allowed, I think I could chart a course how the planet could avoid this disaster. But the problem is the planet and its society, the human society, is not listening. So even if we went to zero carbon dioxide emissions tomorrow morning, it's too late. We have to reverse what we've done. In a recent presentation that I did, which I think... Um, it's, it's not. I don't think that presentation is available on our website. We'll get it up there eventually. Uh, I just did a presentation down in uh, the San Diego area for Deepak Chopra at his request where I listed these issues, and then I listed several things that the that public could do to turn this cr- calamity around. But we are running out of time, ladies and gentlemen. So can we suck CO2 out of the atmosphere? Yes. Can we find ways to recarbonize it? Yes. Will it take money? Yes. Less than most people think, but it'll take money. Can we switch over to renewable energy completely? Yes. Can we do it at an affordable cost? Ladies and gentlemen, it would cost nothing extra to close the nuclear power plants and immediately convert to renewable energy. In fact, it will save us money. So no additional cost to the ratepayers to do that. And we'll be proposing a master plan to convert California off of all fossil fuels and nuclear within 10 years or less. And we'll be putting that out in 2014 as a massive project for the California Public Utilities Commission. Having said that, what you need to know is the IPCC is reporting to you on data that they accumulated, in effect, five years ago. And that's why every report they issue is always worse than the last one. I just gave you a report from the data being accumulated in the last 30 days. So the Academy is much, much more into the future with its data than the IPCC, because we don't have the same protocols it requires to spend years debating scientific evidence. That's why our forecasts tend to be far more accurate. So as bad as this report is that you're going to be hearing in the next few weeks, it's not as bad as the truth. And what I want you to know, therefore, is that it's time for us to activate as a public. If people think, listening to this show, that they can just take it as business as usual, somehow everything will work out, somebody will figure out a way to save the economy, somebody will figure out a way not to get cancer from strontium 90, somebody will figure out a way to keep the climate change from destroying human civilization as we know it. The answer is, somebody won't if it isn't you. And, you know, just because you can't do everything doesn't mean you can't do something. And what we ought to be asking ourselves as individuals, what can I as an individual do? It could be as simple as send a small amount of money to the Safe Energy Project so you can help us get the message out. It could be reducing your carbon footprint by five to ten percent, which is almost nothing to ask of anybody. I could go on and on. But the point is if you don't make it a priority, if you if if you if you stick your head in the sand like an ostrich, not only will you have a climate change issue you can't fight at that point, not only will you be sucking in more and more strontium ninety into your lungs every day, but in addition to that You'll be consigning yourself and human civilization to a complete collapse. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is going to happen sooner than you think. Meaning, at the very furthest out date I can see, by 2060 or sooner, go do the math, 2060 is just around the corner. If you know anybody, right now, anywhere in the world, now, so I'm not just talking California, I'm not just talking uh, one place or the other. If you know anybody in the world who is, safe. Th- 40 years old or younger, they will be alive for this collapse. And it's not going to happen all in one day in 2060. It's going to be happening increasingly over time. That's why there was eight inches of rain yesterday in Boulder, Colorado, with flash floods, more rain coming today. That's why you're seeing climatological disasters of enormous proportions, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse every year. And there's no turning that around unless we can change our will unless we change who it is we are and what we do, the good news, we can stop this. We could fix this. We can stop using nuclear power. We can convert to renewables. We can get rid of carbon fuels, and we can actually even clean the air of carbon dioxide. But we've got to choose to do it. And apparently we don't have the political leadership that will lead us, so we're going to have to lead ourselves. I think that's as much as I want to say today about it. Of course we'll keep the audience posted as more information becomes available.
2: Great. Uh I want to put a quick plug in for uh, the Ken Burns documentary on the Dust Bowl, which is on Netflix streaming if you have a chance to check it out. I have to say it was one of the most interesting and informative um, examples of how humans can cause environmental disaster, and the dust bowl uh, it was a was a warning sign in some ways of what happens when we it, it, when we change the climate ourselves uh, in that case, it was people digging up and tilling the soil. Uh, to try to grow the profitable crop of wheat and then destroying all the water in the soil and creating massive dust clouds. And and the pictures and the video in the film are amazing. So if you have a chance to watch that, please do.
0: And just for for, for those young enough to not know what the Dust Bowl was, uh, that was the source of the the enormous migration of people out to California that was catalogued in uh, Steinbeck's novel, The Grapes of Wrath. The most important thing you should know about it, though, is that it didn't affect a single state. It was the entire Midwest lost its topsoil for years,
1: so it's not a minor thing.
0: And again, I don't want to talk about just the negatives because the positives are much more fun. But right now, when when I when in the same show where I'm talking about strontium ninety, I'm talking we don't need nuclear power. We do need renewables. We, we we've got a climate change crisis. Uh, all of these, and we've got income disparity that's unacceptable. In fact, is totally immoral and frankly stupid. In this one show, look at what we've covered, ladies and gentlemen. Now, if you think that that's something that you can somehow skate free and it won't affect you, you're wrong. you're absolutely wrong so it's it's very personal to you, every single listener I've got two favors to ask: one, tell everybody you know about the show, and hopefully people will send in questions and we'll be able to comment more directly on what's on their mind but please spread the word we're one of a ver we're the only business voice in California talking about some of these issues. And, and California is a trend-setting state. Can you imagine what's going on in Alabama today? Nothing like the World Business Academy. So please tell everybody you know. And the second thing is, please go to safeenergy.org and help us with this battle on strontium-90. I'd like to go next now, Matt, if we can, because we're almost out of time. But I'd like to go right to the lightning round yep. to talk about a few things. Okay, stock market's been up for the last couple of days. Is that a permanent trend upwards? Uh, probably not. I would say that the, the market is going to plateau and has begun to plateau already. And depending on how bad the debt ceiling fight gets, uh, the market will suffer. There's no question the market will start to suffer going into the sequester, if there isn't something done to telegraph it. So I'm looking for the stock market to have plateaued out. Will it drop significantly? Not at this time, but be prepared to sell. Number two, uh, bonds, as we have correctly predicted on this show a couple of shows ago, did fall in value. Uh, for those of you who got out the day we told you to, which would have been Probably a week before the crash, you would have saved 70% of all the bonds you owned. It is still not safe to buy bonds. I'm, I'm reminded that uh, investors pounced on this new Verizon debt issue of $49 billion. I think it's, it's foolish. I think it's going to lead to a lot of challenges. And I'm not in favor of bond buying, even as we speak. By the way, I didn't mention at the outset of the show, but you should all be aware, the same instruments that brought on the Great Recession that almost destroyed the economy – globally, so-called collateralized debt obligations, or CDOs, and derivatives, the volume of those being printed again by the exact same banks, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, all these same five major banks that led us into the last crisis have been printing money again, folks. They've been cranking out CDOs at a higher rate than we've ever seen since 2007. They're cranking out tons of new derivatives. There are no regulations in place, and it's like... You know The the alcoholics are running the bar. I just want you to know that. That's happening as I speak today. So where do you put your money? In a previous show, we told you we thought dividend-paying stocks was probably a safe place for the time being. If you can get a at least 3% yield from a dividend, which you can, from a very solid stock, which has good fundamentals, that's probably your best bet right now. Because as the market corrects downward, the stocks with the best earnings, income, will be the ones that will most resist the downward trend. Those stocks, which are based on the greater fool theory that someone will pay more for it tomorrow, even though they're not returning any money to the public today, those stocks will not do as well. So watch for high dividend yielding or dividend yielding stocks to outperform the market dramatically. If you can get into a um, a dividend yielding uh, fund, particularly if it's a no-load, that's where you want to be right now. Uh, uh, as far as gold goes, people say, well, gee, is gold going to come back in? I keep telling you, if you don't own it, don't buy it. It's not time yet. There may come a time. This isn't it. I don't think your money is going to be well spent in gold. The best you can hope for is it won't go down much more in value. It's not going up a whole lot. So you're going to have money parked in something, which you may or may not be able to get to if you want to. Um, the other thing that people ask about a lot is housing. Uh, Some of you know that the housing market has been trending upward. Uh, That continues to this day, although there's beginning to be a slowdown. So I'm watching um, lot sales, meaning the raw dirt sales, uh, is doing fairly well on the expectation that a year or two from now people want to build more homes and residences. However, there's a crunch going on in the credit markets on on residential housing. Uh, That crunch is beginning to, uh, because of the tighter credit, it's beginning to hamper housing. Uh, what you're seeing now is first-time buyers can't really get into the market, and you really need those first-time buyers if you want to have them buy in, so you can trade up. So trade ups are starting to slow down. Sales of existing houses doing probably a little better than new house construction right now. So I'm seeing a slowdown in housing, with the exception of in the UK, where I told you they're doing it with a bubble. Uh, by the way, that term "bubble" was not mine. Uh, I borrowed that from the the head of the Bank of England. That was uh, Carney's uh, description of uh, what's going on in England with um, with housing. So I'm nervous about that. I do continue to like REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust, but remember, ladies and gentlemen, that name no longer requires there to be any real estate involved at all. So if you're going to do an REIT investment, you have to know what the underlying assets are. And what I'm saying is a well-managed REIT that's based on commercial real estate assets could actually produce a fairly nice rate of return. Um, as people know from listening to the show in prior periods, there are other selective opportunities in the investment world right now. But if you can find a safe way to make three or four percent in a one percent world, that's what you want to do, and keep your powder dry. Don't don't take any plunges right now. Uh, accumulate cash if you can. Put it out in those in, in, those income uh, paying stocks. Uh, I'll come up with some other recommendations besides dividend pay, paying stocks in future programs. Be sure to listen in. One of the things that you know for a fact is that the world changes real quick these days. So if you haven't listed in for two or three months, you may have missed the opportunity to get in on the buying or the selling you should be doing. And at the very least, you'll have lost the opportunity to speak to your financial planner or your stockbroker intelligently so you can quiz them for what they think about all of this. And again, if they disagree or they have a different point of view, hey, write me a question and we'll answer it on the air. That's it for me on the, on the lightning round. Uh, Are there any other specific questions, Matt, you want to go into before we uh, have to end the show?
2: I think you covered it. Thank you.
0: My pleasure. I guess um, the only thing I would say is, um, folks, you're going to come to a fork in the road if you haven't already. There are some companies that are extraordinary polluters, and there are some companies that aren't. You're going to have to decide whether you're willing to own stock in the companies that are extraordinary polluters. polluters. I want to read the honor list of the companies who are not great polluters, who are actually doing very well on disclosing how much they're polluting carbon dioxide wise and who are also doing less and less polluting every year. So it's BMW, BMW, Daimler Benz or Mercedes, Philips Electronics, Nestle, uh, Mellon Bank, Cisco Systems, and um several others that I could list, and there's an article we even have we might even want to put on our website, Matt, so people can know. Um, okay. Honda's not bad. Nissan's doing good. Volkswagen, Hewlett-Packard, Samsung. Tesla is doing phenomenal, of course. And We could talk more about that if anybody wants to know what I think of Tesla. At the same time, and by the way, Nissan has got 75,000 all-electric Leafs. It's now sold and is in, are on the roads. Who are the worst the absolute worst performers when it comes to polluting your air. This will come as a little surprise. Let me read you from what I consider to be the roll call of the damned. Here they are, Walmart, Apache, that's an energy company, Chevron, ConocoPhillips, Diva Energy, ExxonMobil, Occidental Petroleum, FedEx, Air Products and Chemicals, Dow Chemical, uh, Praxair, AT&T, American Electric Power, Duke Energy, and Exelon. By the way, Exelon is a big nuclear power company as well. So if you think the world's going in the wrong direction and you want to do something about it, you're thinking about buying a stock in a rapid delivery company, I would urge you to buy UPS instead of FedEx because FedEx is actually destroying the earth faster than you can profit from its stocks. So there's a there's another example of how you can gain some additional wisdom. And with that additional wisdom, you can not only make a fair rate of return, but you can also... At the same time, make a statement that will raise the level of the conduct of the companies you want to influence so they'll do better by themselves and by you. And in, coincidentally, in every analysis I've seen, those companies which are more energy efficient, which reduce their carbon footprint, on the average considerably outperform the worst of the bad uh, the bad guys. So I just want you to be aware of that. And I think next show, Matt, I want to do a special thing on what I consider to be the risk of owning carbon fuel stocks. I mean that, the oil companies. I've, I've been telling people in the last show, and I'm going to say it again today, if you own stock in the major oil companies, you should think you should have sold it last month, even if you don't want to do it for moral reasons, I think you're going to have a problem economically owning these oil and gas stocks. And I want you to know why so you can react and get out of them before you lose your money as well as your morality. Okay, I guess that's it for the lightning round. If you got any specific questions, Matt? I
2: think that's great. Uh, on behalf of the World Business Academy, thank you all for joining us. Please come to our website at worldbusiness.org to connect with us in between shows and tune in next month for the new episode of New Business Paradigms. Until then, thank you for listening, and remember to pre- please share this link and tell your friends about the, the call today.
0: Thanks, everyone. Glad to be with you today.